You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Schweitzer, David Freeman, your outreach director, and I love backpacking. Woohoo! So, I am definitely not your travel agent this morning, right? We're talking about the stages of faith and this journey together. I am definitely a guide and a facilitator on this adventurous wilderness trip that we're on together. So, uh, go with me, Will, if you will, to talk about how to get to love Jesus more and learn more about abundant life. In stage three, the productive life, right? We've, so when my kids were young, I used the metaphor of a backpack to talk to them about this life. So if you will, we're all born with a backpack. Each of us. Every backpack is unique, and we're all responsible before God for how we use that backpack, all right? The backpack is your love language, your forgiveness language, your Myers-Briggs type, your disc type, your strength finders type, I mean, blah, 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 all the assessments that we can do of ourselves to try to figure out what's in our backpack, right? And in in stage two, when you move from stage one to stage two of uh, the spiritual life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and kind of adds a few more gifts into your backpack. And in stage two, you kind of, we talked about that last week. You spend time figuring out what's in your backpack, who Jesus is, you know, kind of delving into all those cool kind of things. And then in stage three, you realize it's time to use the backpack. All those time, talents, and treasures that you've been given, if you will. Now, I interrupt this sermon to give you a definition, two definitions of talents, all right? Because the modern definition of talent, it could get confusing in this sermon. Talent in the modern definition is your natural aptitude or skill. But talent in an ancient definition was a measure of money. And it's kind of, we're not sure what the measure of money was. And today's dollar figures, somewhere between $750,000 or $5 million, it depends on who you read. I'm just going to land in the middle-ish. $2 million dollars. So from this point forward, when I use the word talent in this sermon, I'm talking about your natural abilities and skills. And when I talk about $2 million, I'm talking about $2 million. Great. Okay. Back to the sermon. So, yeah, we, uh, you know, in stage three, you still have to maintain all that learning about what's in your backpack to keep track of it and, uh, and who Jesus is. But in stage three, instead of it being all about figuring me out, it's all about, you know, I have a responsibility to use everything I have to serve other people. And, and let me kind of give a reason, if you will, why you need to keep track of what's in your backpack in stage three. So peanut butter. Folks, I've led hundreds of backpacking trips with people with backpacks on their back, all right? I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. Where's the peanut butter? 
Why peanut butter? Did we bring peanut butter on this trip? I don't have the peanut butter. I don't have the peanut butter. Nobody has the peanut butter in their bag, so we starve. <laughs> we don't eat peanut butter today. Peanut butter is what we're supposed to eat today. We don't eat it. And uh, we go, you know, a couple days later, and somebody's digging down into the depths of their backpack. Hey, I found the peanut butter. Great. We all wish you would have kept track of it and had it ready for use when we needed it. Right? So that's what stage three is all about. You know, in stage three, the productive life, you're, you're active in your local congregation and your community. You're, you're attending trainings, but you know what? Instead of attending them many times, you start teaching them. And you start doing the work. And you do intentional acts of loving care and, and service. Maybe you do some spontaneous acts of love and service in this world. You know, you're just, we're giving back because we recognize that a call to follow Jesus is a call to work alongside and with Jesus. And we just find joy knowing that we're serving Jesus and that our work has eternal significance. It's a wonderful stage of development. One of the people who might be sitting next to you, he wanted to remain anonymous with this little quote. He told me, you know, I saw something the other day, a need, and I said, the church should do something about that. And he said, I heard an audible voice, maybe for the second time in my life that I've heard a voice like this. And here's what the voice said. You are the church. He said, well, what could I do? I got involved in that. He actually spearheaded taking care of that need for our body. It was a great story. You know, from picking up paper on the ground to the myriads of, of ministries in this church to everywhere we go all through the week, 24-7, we are workers with and for Jesus. So we're going to look at uh, scripture today that is a, a powerful scripture that talks about this productive life and elements of it. It's Matthew 25, 14 through 28, and a, a little background for this, it's right smack dab in the middle of the Olivet Discourse. Didn't know it was called that until I got ready for this sermon, right? So Tuesday before Jesus is crucified, he and the disciples go out on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. They sit down on the Mount of Olives. They're looking at the temple to the east. And his disciples bring up an earlier conversation from the day. Because earlier that day, they had been saying, ooh, look how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus said, eh, it's going to be torn down. So they settle down on the, the Mount of Olives, and one of them brings it up. Hey, Jesus, when's that thing about the temple going to happen? And I just picture him kind of kicking back. And for two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, he, he launches into this wonderful prophecy about what, what all the circumstances are going to look like when Jesus is going to come back and what it's going to be like and how glorious it's going to be. And he spends his time talking about it. It's very interesting reading in Scripture, Matthew 24. And then he, he kind of pivots in the middle of it. And he says in Matthew 24, 42, Therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And he drives home that point four times. He gives two stories and two parables to drive home that point. We're going to dig into the last parable, the parable of the $2 million. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Stand, if you will, with me for the reading of this very interesting story. Now keep in mind, this is Jesus' voice the entire time. He's the narrator of this story, if you will. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave $10 million. 
to another $4 million, and to another $2 million, each according to his own ability. And he went away on his journey. Immediately, immediately, the one who had received the $10 million went and traded with them and gained $10 million more. In the same manner, the one who had received the $4 million gained $4 million more. But he who received the $2 million went away, dug a hole, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the $10 million came up and brought $10 million more, saying, Master, you entrusted $10 million to me. See, I have gained $10 million more. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. Hey, you were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the $4 million came up and said, well, well, master, you entrusted $4 million to me, and see, I've gained $4 million more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received $2 million came up and said, well, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away, and I hid your $2 million in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered him and said, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have at least received my money back with interest. Therefore... Take away the $2 million from him and give it to the one who has $20 million. The challenging word of God for the people of God. Yeah, please be seated. So the rest of that parable, Jesus kind of talks about the judgment on the slave who hid the $2 million. And then he launches into, for the rest of Matthew chapter 5, judgment for all of us. At the time when Jesus returns and, and we face judgment. And, uh, you know, you can read. That's this very interesting reading. Today, though, we're focusing on the two slaves who did the work. The two slaves who faced the joy of their master. Because that's the point of the productive life. So, uh, and let's just look at a few of the things. Boy, there are so many things. The more I look at this parable, the more I want to talk about it, and, and the more stories. Oh, yeah, okay, Lord, I get that. Okay, okay, okay. We're just going to look at a few of those today. So the first is, yes, we are responsible to use everything in our backpack for Jesus. Everything. So the, the word he uses is slave, right? Let's see. Property, someone who belongs to another without any ownership rights of their own. Wow. Yeah, it's used as a high honor in the scripture for us to be called bond slaves of Christ, but, well, maybe think of it this way. Hi, my name's David. I died in 1976. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I don't have any clothes. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have a voice. I don't have a brain. Yeah, yeah don't tell my father-in-law about that last one. Uh, you know, according to Scripture, Galatians 2.20, here's what it says. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Wow, if you claim to be a Jesus follower, you don't own anything. Ah, I am Jesus' slave. Everything that the doctors and the IRS would make a case saying I am and own belongs to Jesus. How about you? Have you come to that realization in your life? You know, this parable isn't just about money. It's about every asset in your backpack, all your time, talent, and treasure, if you will. And, you know, we don't have this master who's just trying to get the most out of us. We have a master who wants us to have the most rewarding life possible and knows that there is nothing, nothing in this life more satisfying than realizing Jesus just used me to the maximum extent to make the maximum impact on this earth. Wow, let's do it again. The other thing about our master that's really, really amazing is he wants a love relationship with us that is the most pure thing in this world. And he knows that the best way to develop a relationship with somebody is to do hard, really challenging things together and have success in those things. I say that to people sometimes when I meet them. Hi, you know, yeah, okay, we're meeting. I'm sorry, I'll have a really hard time remembering your name until we go through a life and death event together. Just, I don't know, something weird about my psyche. I'm that way. You know, uh, uh, and Jesus wants all those things, and he knows the absolute best way to train you to use your backpack is to get you up and using it, right? Uh, I mean, there are so many principles about life and faith and about loving and, and life with Jesus that you could only learn by doing things with him. It kind of makes sense. If you came to me and said, hey, teach me how to canoe, yeah, I might give you a short book to read for a few minutes, but what are we going to go do pretty quickly? We're going to go get on the river in a... And we're going to go canoeing. If you want to learn how to play basketball, and you can watch videos, you can read books all you want, but when it comes right down to it, you got to get off the bench, get a... in your hand, and go out on the court and play. Yes, you're going to get bumps, you're going to get bruises, you're going to get cuts, you're going to get slammed a little bit, but until you get skin in the game, you just cannot learn all there is to know about that particular life. Well, there's a second huge point in this parable. When Jesus returns, and none of us knows the time, we want him to find us faithful. We want the joy of that. So here's here's the definition of joy. I just heard this from John Perkins, who was the founder of the Christian Community Development Association. He's an 85-year-old man who can still captivate thousands when he speaks. He said, uh, joy is the fulfillment of a long-term, deep longing. I've actually almost quit praying for Jesus to do things. My prayer has become this lately. Lord, so many times in my life I have prayed for you to do something or give me something and found out there was something much better. So will you just do whatever you know that is the deep longing that I don't know to pray about, Lord? 
What deep longing has the Lord planted deep in your soul that maybe you don't even know about that you want him to find you doing when he returns? Well, there's a third lesson. Don't let fear of doing harm stop you from getting started. You know, the master wasn't upset with the uh, $2 million guy uh, because he only had $2 million. He was upset because the guy got afraid and hid. Okay, so remember, there are wonderful elements of relationship with Christ to learn in this life and, and that you can only learn by, by doing it, right? So I asked a guy one time who had biked across America. I'm just fascinated by that story. Somebody dips their tire in the East Coast water and goes across horrible conditions and dips it in the West Coast, right? And I said, so how did you get in shape for that trip? And he said, uh, I started biking <laughs> on the East Coast, West. He said, you don't have to get in shape. You just have to start biking. I mean, by two or three weeks in, you're pretty well in shape, right? I think that's how a lot of things with Christ are. You, you know, you, you just sit back and you, oh, I can't do that. I can't do it. Just start. That's what Christ calls us to do so many times. And when we're in the stage three, we realize that that's the way a lot of things are. So I'm just going to talk about, for instance, mentorship. You know, there are lots of opportunities for mentorship in this church. Jobs for life, faith and finances, Pittman tutoring, life change plan, spiritual guides. We're really, man, one-on-one -on -one stuff is the way to grow, a great way to grow. And the number one reason I hear people say they don't want to be a mentor is, you know, I just don't know that I'm capable of doing that. I don't know that I'm able or I'm ready. Yeah. You don't have to be Jesus to be a mentor. So, yeah, a mentor implies that there are areas of your life that, that maybe you're a little further along the path than the other person. And yes, we recognize there are many facets of maturity in life. So the mentee, if you will, yeah, they're more mature than you in several ways. That's okay. The point of mentor-mentee is when you get together, the focus is on the mentee. And the mentor is the listener, the one who's asking the questions, the one who's supporting. And we all need that. I, frankly, you won't be learn to be a mentor until you step up and become a... It's that way in all sorts of things. Almost everything of life of faith that Jesus calls us to. So I love a couple of quotes from Priscilla Shire. My Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago was talking about faith. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, whatever that means. Faith, according to Priscilla Shire, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. And she says this other really potent thing. Don't dig up in doubt what God planted in faith. Whew. Yeah, I mean, life wouldn't be called an adventure if it was going to be easy. And easy isn't really that fun once it was over with anyway. All right. A fourth thing, I do want to spend a moment talking about the unfairness in this parable that many of us read it and kind of cringe a little bit, you know? He said he gave it to them according to their own ability. Well, okay, 
As I was getting these backpacks out, I'm going to kind of change the backpack metaphor around a little bit. Yes, we have a backpack that Jesus gives us, you know, our time, talent, and treasure. However, you know, in some ways, you are a backpack that Jesus picks out to put on to do certain things on this earth, right? And as I was getting ready for this service, picking out three backpacks, I went out to our backpack rack, and I got excited. Oh, and I like that one. Oh, and I like that one. Oh, and my little girl said, I asked her at first, hey, can I use your backpack for this sermon? She said, no way. But she just showed up today and walked out and said, Daddy, you could use my pack if you want. Yes! Yes! And I have stories. Let me tell you, there, there are things that we could do with that backpack. You would look at it and think, oh, that's a kid pack. Can't do very much, right? Well, we just went on a plane trip. We stuffed enough uh, snacks and water and games in that pack that we could easily slip under our seat. I was carrying this pack. I am convinced that we got through security easier with this monstrosity because there was a cute little girl carrying that one. <laughs> and I got to put this in the overhead compartments because people looked at the cute little girl. Oh, isn't she so cute? And well, when they were looking at her, I was stuffing this one in the overhead, right? <laughs> I have great stories with that pack. It's a wonderful pack. It serves great purposes. And I'll tell you what, the, that pack that size, when I go caving, there's no way I can carry this thing in. I've been in several places where I get, go into the cave, get stuck, exhale, move. Inhale, get stuck, exhale. Move, right? It's a little more adventure than some of you care about. I see you claustrophobics going, no, stop! Stop on that story. That pack I can take into the cave. Push it in front of me, tie it to my foot, whatever. It gets through great. It's a wonderful thing in the cave. These two, no way. Okay, so the one I'm wearing, it's a great pack for, it's an internal frame pack for nice, for balance, good for about two or three days, and uh, has some, you know, has some cool things that I can get access to. And I have good story. The story I have with this pack, I just took this pack and hiked with my oldest daughter, who's going to get married in April. The last daddy-daughter date together. Got to talk about all sorts of things all day. I love this pack. I have great memories with this pack. That pack, that behemoth, man, that'll go for four or five or six days comfortably. Way more comfortable than these other two, right? So I guess what I'm getting at is it's not a matter of capacity. Yeah, we all have all sorts of different capacities, and that doesn't matter. We still have the same usefulness. Jesus wants to use you to the extent of who you are because he knows that will give you abundant life with him. That's stage three. That's the productive life. We view our resources as a pure gift from God. And we put them to work for God's purposes. Like the first two servants did. And through our service, we become fully convinced that life with Jesus in faith is the way to live. We find deep satisfaction serving others. And you know we have a kind of a relatively stable Faith and our moral compass is just kind of really strongly intact. And we get the joy of marveling at what Jesus does with others and learning about others as we serve on Jesus' behalf. It's a wonderful life, a productive life. No matter who you are, 
Are you going to risk putting to work what Jesus gave you? Are you going to find out what it's like? Are you going to join the adventure? They don't uh, produce very many stories when they're sitting on the shelf. Well, here's a little teaser for next week. As many of you have learned, our work for God can morph into this unhealthy thing where we equate it as our relationship with God. And unfortunately, it often takes a personal crisis to kind of rock our world and cause us to see that there is more than just doing things in life with Christ. You know, and God desires that we learn those things too, to go into the call to come within. Are you at the point where you need to know more about that? So come back next week as we continue the adventure.